You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. How many of you have seen that movie before, Christmas Story? You've seen that? (laughs) I love the movie Christmas Story. I saw it as a kid growing up, and uh, it was one of the few movies that made it all the way to the great northeastern part of Canada. And I think the older I get, it kind of resonates with me even more. And I think because I see a lot of myself in that. As a kid, I can remember looking forward to Christmas, and I wasn't the pastor you see in front of you now, but when I thought about Christmas, a lot of other ideas came into my head. Did that testify to anybody this morning? And one of the biggest things I look forward to was Christmas vacation. How many of you look forward to Christmas vacation? No more school, right? You get to get out of school. And for me growing up, when it went to no more school, that meant that my days were filled with endless ice hockey, that translates here. Do you know in, in a couple of years, we might be getting a hockey team? Yeah. That was not in my notes. It's just in my spirit, okay? So <laughs> endless days of hockey, and that's a whole other sermon, and, and just playing and having fun snowmobiling in the great northeast. And then nighttime was about gathering around our fireplace, and that was back before you had DVRs. So if you didn't get it when it came on, you didn't get to see Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or a Christmas store or any of those things, right? You had one shot, baby, and you better get it when it, when it, when it arrived. That was your one shot. But as I reflect on that and how it just resonates in me, Christmas story, I think it hits the theme that we're talking about today, which is the theme of hope. When you look at Ralphie, you see a young boy that is filled with eyes of hope. And it's not hope for Jesus, okay? This is eyes filled with hope. He had the hope to get what? He had an official Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle known as a BB gun, okay? This was his big hope. What was his dad's hope? Remember his dad in the story? The dad's big hope was to win the contest so he could get a major award, how do you pronounce this word? Fragile, right? That's the official Italian pronunciation. Is that right, Michael Maria? Right? No? Okay. <laughs> Ralphie's mom had one big hope as well. And her hope was that Randy, the youngest son, would just eat. How many of you have a picky eater in your home? And you're just hoping, Lord, help them eat this time of year, okay? We want them to eat. My mom never had that challenge with me. My big hope when I was the age of Ralphie was this. Who knows what that is? Right. This was back in the early days of of gaming when you wanted an Atari gaming system. How many of you had an Atari gaming system? And you, you could be 10. Now it's coming back because that's what we're kind of going out to get. But I wanted so badly to have an Atari gaming system, okay? At that time, more than anything, this is what I wanted. Do you know how much hope resonates? When you talk to anybody, whether they've been around the Christian faith or not, hope resonates in us because we want it. Hope is something that we desire. And really, whether it's stated that way or not, hope is the thing that resonates this time of the year as we reflect on Christmas. I love how Tim Keller says it. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, human beings are hope-shaped creatures. And how we live today is completely shaped by what you believe about your future. Let me read that again. Human beings are hope-shaped creatures. You were made for hope. 
And how you live today is completely shaped by what you believe about your future. See, we were made to hope. But as we've just heard, what we hope in, it determines not only the future that we're walking towards, but it also determines how we live our life today. We see that manifested in so many ways. And so throughout this series, we're going to be going back to the original meaning of Christmas, to the original source of hope, which is the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the light of the world, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting, and the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. The Bible also calls Jesus the lover of our soul and the friend that sticks closer than any brother. Than any brother. That's who we're talking about. See, this is the hope that we were made to have. And when we have this kind of hope, it is a hope that is alive and is a hope that bursts forth from us. This is what Peter is talking about when we look today to our scripture. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Peter, all the way towards the back of the New Testament, 1 Peter. And we're going to be looking at chapter 3 and focusing on just a couple of verses, verses 15 through 17. And here Peter is outlining the importance of hope. The importance of hope. And here's what 1 Peter writes. He says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. May be put to shame. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that you have afforded to us if we will believe it and receive it to become the children of God that you have made us to be. So, Lord, let this word come alive to us today as we spend these few moments this morning talking about hope. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. So the first thing that we see in this scripture is we see that hope is evident. See, Peter's saying, always be prepared to make a defense. What that means is that when hope is alive in you, no one can deny it. When you come across somebody who is filled with hope, you don't have to wonder whether or not they have hope, do you? It is alive in them. It is energizing not just to them, but it also energizes you. When you find somebody who is filled with hope, you can't wait to be around them. Those are the people you want to be around with, right? If you see two groups of people, one group is filled with hope and alive. They're going somewhere and they're excited about it. And you see this group of people that is just downcast. They don't know where they're going. What group are you going to follow? You're naturally going to follow the group that's filled with hope. It is energizing. It is contagious. We all want it. And see, Christmas, it is a season of hope. We hear about it all the time. Because Christmas is a reminder for all of us of what life can be, what we wish it would be. It is an annual international focus on the hope that is available to all of us if we will believe it and receive it. See, Christmas points to why we were made our purpose. And this is why for us here at Shoreline Community Church, we celebrate the season of Advent, this intentional way of reminding ourselves of what Christmas is, the whole reason, the whole purpose for the season, because if not, we can get lost in the season, can't we? 
We can get lost in it all and forget why Christmas exists, where it came from. So throughout this Advent season, I want to encourage you, don't let that happen. Enjoy it, celebrate it, eat as many candy canes as you can and peppermint mochas and eggnog lattes or nog lots as we're trademarking, okay? Enjoy the season, but let it be anchored in this hope. Allow this time of Advent to orient your hearts. Because see, when we look at the, the word Advent, Advent is this expectant hope, and it comes from the Latin word that, means, that says Adventus, which means a coming. Advent is all about coming, and it really has two parts into it. The first part is we remember the first time that Jesus came, right? The first time that Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, it reminds us of something that Christ has already done. John 1, it says, the word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. This is the foundation of our Christian faith, the incarnation of Christ. So Advent is but the first coming, but it is also about the second coming. And this is a reminder of what Jesus Christ will do, something that he will do, something that is in the future. This is where we're heading. We look forward with expectancy for when Jesus will come again and take all of us who believe to a place called heaven, to heaven. Heaven is something we don't always talk a lot about because sometimes we can get caught up in what we're doing today, what we're doing right here, and we can enjoy it. There's a lot of good things are happening in our lives. But we need to remember through this season that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. This is why he said in John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Are your hearts troubled today? He said, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where you are, that where I am, you may be also. We need to be reminded of this to not forget. As a matter of fact, in the devotional books that we have, and if you don't, haven't gotten a copy of this today, uh, let me encourage you to grab one of these as you leave today. But in the very first day yesterday, our author writes this. He says, Advent is about recalling the wonder of his first coming, but it is no less about the glory of his second when his kingdom will come and everything will be put right, when we will no longer have to be satisfied with hints of his presence, but we shall see face to face. He goes on to write, if we let this longing fade, we end up with a truncated faith. Our faith becomes all about this life and what we can accomplish now. This is a sure formula for despair and anxiety. But on the other hand, if we have a lively hope within us, we recognize God's sovereignty over both the present now as well as the future. Did you hear that? It's an expectancy. We were not made to just focus on the here and now. See, Advent, it reminds us that we are on a journey, that we are on our way home. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. See, the home that we are in now is temporary. The home that we are in now has problems. How many of you got problems in your home? Okay, I'm not talking about Stephanie. She's not a problem. She's a blessing. But we have challenges, don't we? Maybe I'm the problem in our home. I don't know. We have challenges that we have to walk through. 
There are things that we have to do. This life is temporal. It is broken. And when we only focus on what is happening today, if my hope is only on what is today, then I am in trouble. Anybody say amen to that? Right? There's challenges. There's all kinds of problems. We need to be reminded that Jesus didn't just come to give us a better life now. And I think that's part of the confusion because sometimes we think when we turn our life to Jesus, then everything today is going to be perfect. How many of you found that? Okay? I echo the words of Bono. I still haven't found what I'm looking for if I go that way, okay? That's not what it's about. Jesus is leading us into a future. Peter says this earlier in chapter 1. He says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. That's the future. That is imperishable. Did you hear that? His inheritance will never perish. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading, like our hairlines, and it's kept in heaven for you. It is perfect. See, heaven is a place that Revelation describes as a place where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. And not only that, all these things will be gone forever. Does that excite you? No more pain. Every tear is gone. We've all cried tears. We've all experienced pain. This is the heaven that he's leading us to. This world is broken. Jesus is leading us to an eternity with him in heaven. This is our hope. This is what we long for. This is what we need to be reminded of. But as exciting as hope is, hope can be challenging because hope means that we have to wait. Hope means that we have to wait. And how many of us enjoy waiting? This kid is not enjoying waiting right now. We don't like to wait. See, we have been conditioned for instant gratification, meaning I want to be gratified right now. I want it right now, and I want to see it. But the things that are instantly gratifying are the, normally the things that don't last, aren't they? Okay? So things that are instantly gratifying for me are sushi. How many testify to that, okay? But I don't have any sushi right now because the sushi that I ate is gone. It doesn't last forever. It's fun in the moment, but it's instantly gratifying, right? Food, the feelings that we have. Money is perishable. Youth is perishable. These are things that will fade. See, we've been conditioned by our culture, by our circumstances to desire this and to want it just right now, but we were made for delayed gratification, meaning that there is a long-term goal to this. There is a hope, there is a future that is waiting out there. Because, see, depth requires delay. The taller the building that they build in downtown Seattle, the longer they spend on the foundation. Have you noticed that? You'll walk by, and you'll see them digging, and you'll see them pouring cement, and you'll see them doing all the things that they do, and it seems like it takes forever but it takes forever because the taller the building, the deeper the foundation. This is the work of God in us. It is not an instantaneous. Now, we are saved instantaneously. He comes in in the moment that we believe and we receive, we confess our sins to him and we follow Christ. We are followers of Jesus. Heaven is our home. But there's a work that goes on in our life, doesn't it? There's a work that goes on in our life. 
There's a hope that we have. But see, all the things that have delayed gratification to them, they're the deep, lasting things, and these are the things that we really desire. These are the things like relationships and friendships. How many of you know that deep friendships take a long time, don't they? Right? A great marriage takes a long time because the first year or two, it may be all roses and everything's good, and the other person knows just what to say and just what to do. But three years in, you start to get a little tired. And you start to get a little casual, a little comfortable. And you start to dig in and you start to be tested. You start to be strengthened. But look at someone who's been married for 50, 60, 70 years, like what we have. The depth of the relationship that will not be shaken. Look at the best friends in your life. They've been with you through thick and thin. They've been tested, even when you've argued. You have an argument with a friend and they stay in the relationship. That's a pretty good friend, isn't it? Right? You stay in the body of Christ in a church that sometimes you have struggles with and you don't leave at the first little thing. That's a strong body of Christ, amen? I'm bragging on you now. See, there are things that are going to come up. But through Jesus, we have this hope of working it out because we're following him, because we're trusting him. And we're not just going for the instant gratification. But we're digging in. We're looking at what he's called us. See, one of the timeless truths that my mom said to me all the time, my mom always said, little Dwayne, good things come to those who wait. Do you have anybody say that to you in your life? Good things come to those who wait. You know, and she always said, be careful of the person that says, you can get it right now for no money down, for no interest, for no, right, we'll, we'll get it to you. That's a sales pitch, isn't it? Right? That's somebody trying to talk you into what's going on. Good things come to those who wait. She always warned me about things that would, that would happen too fast or things that came too easy. Now, I, I like easy. That's great when it happens. But there's a depth and there's a consistent walk through our lives. This is what hope it is. It is waiting because this type of hope, it has a reward attached to it. There is a reward for waiting. Isaiah 40 says this. It says, those who hope, those who wait in the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. This is hope that Isaiah is talking about. When you hope in the Lord, there is a strength that comes into you. There is a flight that your life takes on as you walk in this. But we need to be ready to wait. And waiting is tough for me, especially as a kid. When I was like Ralphie, I had a terrible time waiting because I always felt like I was missing out on something. Do you ever feel that way? You feel like you're missing out on something, so you go to Facebook. What are your friends doing? You go to Instagram. What are they doing over here? You're always concerned that you're missing out on something. It's difficult to wait. But see, hope is not just about waiting. See, hope is not just about looking out in the future and seeing what's there and saying, well, that's going to be good. I'm just going to wait for it. Hope also enables us to go. Hope enables us to move forward to what God is calling to, and hope is what gets us there because when we look at the Hebrew word for hope, it doesn't just mean to wait, though it talks about that. But it also says that hope means to collect to bind together, to twist together, to strengthen. Do you know what that is? Hope is a rope. I didn't say soap is on a rope. I said hope is a rope. 
Hope is a rope. Hope is what enables us. And when you think about that, what do you need when you come across this big ravine or you come against this big cliff in front of you? What do you need to overcome that? You need a good rope, don't you? This is what hope is. See, hope, just like the rope, it enables you to go to a place that you wouldn't be able to go to without it. When you don't have hope in your life, there's no way that you can climb that cliff. There's no way that you can go across that ravine. There's no way that you can rappel down to that stream and get a refreshing glass of water. This is what hope does. It binds and it strengthens us. But if you're going to be going down to a ravine, if you're going to be climbing up this cliff, you don't want to just take the first rope that comes your way, do you? Because there's a lot of rope out there that's going to break on you. Have you ever had a rope break on you and something damaged along the way? That happened to me when I was trying to move a mattress on my car last year. I tied a mattress to my car. I used the wrong rope. Micah will tell it to you in great detail how I failed that day. (laughs) What we hope in matters. Because you start climbing, you have the wrong rope, you're going to find out pretty quick where the weaknesses are. You're going to find out pretty quick where it's frayed. You're going to find out pretty quick where it comes short. And there's nothing worse than being on a cliffside, having climbed halfway down to find out your rope is too short and it's frayed and it's about to break. That's when fear is going to come in your life because you've recognized you have been trusting in the wrong thing. This is why hoping in Jesus is so important. I've said it before that someone said to me once, they asked me this question, they said, you know, why is there so much hope in you? They said it from the standpoint of, why do you just... You, you, you seem like there's something going on in your life. You, you seem like there's something there. And I said, well, the short answer is it's because of Jesus. And they said, no, Jesus is just a crutch. I said, no, Jesus is a jetpack. He's not a crutch. Jesus is no crutch. Jesus is a healer. If I'm broken, he's going to heal me and throw away the crutch. <laughs> he is my healer. He is my jetpack. And the hope in Jesus Christ is a rope that enables us. But so many times we reach out for other ropes. We reach out for other ropes, but we need to be determined as a body of Christ to go, I will hold on nothing except for Jesus Christ, his resurrection that has saved me. This is our hope. This is the whole point of Christmas. Because see, when this hope is alive in us, when we recognize who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our life, leading us and guiding us, it'll put us in the position that Peter is talking about where we will need to defend our hope. We will need to defend our hope. This is why Peter says, always be prepared, get ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Because when there's hope in you, people are going to look at you and go say, why is there hope in you? Why are you so alive? Why, even though you're going through the circumstance, what's going on? You will need to defend it when it is there. Because hope is strong. It is active. It is visible. And something this strong and powerful will always need to be answered for. Because our culture and all of us, we crave power, don't we? We crave control. And if you don't think you crave control, wait until control gets taken away from you and see how you feel. You ever been there? You thought you were in control? control, and then it got taken away. 
And what happened? Fear, anxiety. What's going to happen? Do they know what they're doing? We crave it. So when this real hope is in front of us, we're going to need to defend it. And the word defense that Peter uses here is the word apologia, which means to give an account. It's a legal word, signifying like when someone is brought to a court of law and they're having to give a defense for what they've done. How powerful would it be for those around us to look at you and go, man, there's so much hope in you. What is going on? What is going on? And one of the biggest revealers of our hope will often be hardship, won't it? Because when everything's going good, it's a lot easier to be nice. It's a lot easier to go, the future's going to be okay. My bank account is full today. My pantry is full today. My friends like me today. I got 250 likes for my latte art. It's a good day. But what happens when the things don't go the way you hoped they would be, the way you thought they would be. This is when the rope you're holding on to is tested. This is when, is when it is tried. Sometimes it's difficulty in our own life. Sometimes it's difficulty in the life around us. But either way, hardship will always reveal what we're hoping in. And hardship always gets the attention of our society. Communication companies make billions of dollars every year talking about hardship. It's what we see, isn't it? When we open the newspaper, when we go online and see the news, it's not always just pictures of dogs and cats and people being rescued from the ice. It's often hardships, isn't it? It's often arguments. It's often the difficult things and the trials and the struggles that are going through. This gets our attention. Crisis always gets our attention. This is why hope is so powerful. See, hope is powerful in hardship because it recognizes the presence of Jesus in every circumstance and every relationship. When you're going through a tough time and there's still hope inside of you, and I'm not talking about the Pollyanna kind of a view where you ignore it, right? So Jesus didn't say ignore it. What Jesus says when we're going through a hard time, don't ignore the hard time. He's just saying, pay attention to me. My name's Jesus. I have what you need. I'm the rope that you need. I am with you. I am walking you through this. Because whatever circumstance I'm in, no matter how terrible it is, when I remember that Jesus is with me, and I dig into that, it's going to be okay. Now, if I'm in the wrong spot, sometimes I'm in hard spots, and Jesus looks at me and says, Dwayne, I never led you there. But because he loves me, he reaches out and he says, hold my hand. Let me lead you out of this. Now walk with me. We have some things to walk through. How many you found yourself in a spot you shouldn't have been? Jesus came in and held your hand, but there was a walk to do. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Sometimes I wish he would just do the Star Trek thing and just kind of teleport me some places. But here's what Jesus does in my life. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to teach you to not go back there again. Yeah. Right? 
It's, uh, it's like when I was a l- little kid. My mom didn't always bail me out. I had an incredible mom. <laughs> but she didn't always bail me out. The first time she came in running, she got me up, right? So the first time I came home from school and I ex- experienced a Scott Farkas in my life, okay, if you're familiar with the movie, somebody who was bullying me, somebody who was being mean to me, somebody who said something that I didn't like, and I came home crying. Any of you ever go home crying from school? right? Well, the first time I came home, my mom had a cookie there for me. She had some milk there for me. She wiped away the tears. She said, it's going to be okay. She brought it in. But I don't know how much longer it was after this. I went home one time, and somebody called me, get ready for this word, a nerd. (laughs) Can you believe somebody called me a nerd? (laughs) Yes, you can. How many nerds we got out there? takes one to know one, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. How many of you have ever been called a nerd and it just broke your heart? When you get older, you embrace, I've, I've embraced my nerdiness, but as a little kid, I was like, Mom, someone called me a nerd. This is where you go, oh, right? What did I expect? I expected my mom to just pick me up, put a cookie in my mouth, milk in my hand, and sit me down in front to play Donkey Kong. But that didn't happen. Here's what she said, and this is the truth. She said, well, little Dwayne, if God made you to be a nerd, just be the best little nerd you can be. Right? So, now, hear what I said. She didn't say that the first time. And she had a good relationship with me, okay? But there's a reality to it, isn't it? What was my mom trying to teach me? She was saying, there's hope. There's hope in who God made you. God didn't make you wrong, Dwayne. Now, the things that I do wrong, but she was trying to put strength in me. She was trying to put the identity of Christ in me. She was coming alongside of me and saying, you know what? Don't let them tear you down. Don't let them pull you down. This is what we need to recognize when we're going through. We need to know that Jesus is with me, that I am blessed in every situation because Jesus is with me. Whatever you're going through, if Jesus is with you, you are blessed because he's leading you to a place where there'll be no more tear, no more trials, no more struggles in a place called heaven, but it's a journey to get there. But if Jesus is with you, and Jesus is everywhere, and he's saying, when you come on to me, all of ye who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. If you will walk with Jesus, the hope is alive. So no matter what is going on in your life, you recognize Jesus is with you, and if he's here, that's enough. If Jesus is with me, that's enough, and I'm blessed. My ears are open to his voice that says, go this way, not that way, and don't go back to that pit I just pulled you out of. Hold my hand and go on. This is who Jesus is. This is the blessing of God in our life. This enables us. This is the hope. This is the rope. This is what propels us forward. God is our refuge. God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. So I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and is swelling. I will not fear. Even when life is not fair. How many life's not fair for you right now? <laughs> That's not a trick question. I'm not going to call you out. Have you ever felt that way, though? That even when life is not fair... This is how Ralphie felt. 
life's not fair. I'm not getting what I want. See, even when life is perceived to be not fair, it is especially important during this moment that we hope in Jesus Christ. Because, see, when life is not fair, this is when we're tempted. This is where we are tempted to take on the tactics of Ralphie. Know what Ralphie's tactic was? Manipulation. (laughs) The line in the movie is what? Hey, a little bribe never hurt. (laughs) A little bribe never hurt. When we don't trust the Lord, when we think life is not fair, it's very easy for us to move to areas of manipulation. This is what Ralphie did. Ralphie even used reverse psychology. If you remember the movie, he's walking through the movie, and he's like, Mom and Dad, they're not going to get the gun for me. So they go, what do you want for for Christmas? He's like, "Uh, I don't don't really want that. That's fine. Did he mean it? No. Have there ever been things in your life you've given up on? You go, I really don't want that. But internally, you really do. But you're trying to just use a little bit of reverse psychology around those around you. And when that didn't work, Ralphie went to somebody he thought could be an advocate for him, his teacher. How many have ever gone to a teacher for an advocate? And he wrote the best essay he ever could. Did it work? Spoiler alert, I'll let you go and figure that out for yourself. And when that didn't work, Ralphie even went to the big guy in his words, which is, who's the big guy in, in Christmas in our culture? Santa Claus. But how many of you have been there? You keep going back to the same thing every time. If I can just get to the right person, if I can just get up there, they'll do it. And they end up just putting their boot on your face and just shoving you down the line. It's true, isn't it? Because we can look at it and laugh. And I have this on during the Christmas season. But every time I look at it and I see Ralph, he just has that big boot in his face going down. Have you ever gone to somebody for help and you just got a big boot in the face? Am I the only person that gets boot in the face? See, we may not recognize it in these terms, but the challenge that we have is that in some subtle ways, some very visible, some very subtle, we keep going back to the same bad rope. We keep climbing that hill to this imaginary Santa Claus, thinking if I can just talk to them, if I can just do this, if I can just do that. We keep trying to manipulate it, making it work, and it never works out. Here's the key to our hope. The key to our hope in every circumstance is coming back and recognizing God is in control. I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to use reverse psychology. I don't need to play games. God is in control in every situation. How many of you have a situation right now you're going, I need to be reminded God's in control. Just lift your hand up. Just, just respond to that. You go, I'm in a situation. I need to be reminded God is in control. Because I'm here to tell you, he is. God is in control. And he's calling you out. And he's calling you in. He's saying, you know what? I'm in control. You want to be a part of it. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be brought in? I'm reminded of that verse where it says, God works all things to the, to the good, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you remember what that word good means? It means conformity 
to the image of Christ. Not who I think I am, but the conformity of Christ. That transformation work that comes alive as the Holy Spirit is alive in us. As we yield and we say, God, I surrender to you. My life is yours. You tell me where to go where to go and I'm going to do it. You lead me and I will follow. You speak that word in me and I will say, yes, your servant is listening. That's the walk of hope. That's the walk of hope alive in us. It's that conformity to Christ. See, God is at work in our lives to form his character in all of us. And character is not just created in hard times. Character is revealed in hard times, isn't it? Those of you that lead teams, you often know that it's often those difficult times that reveal the character. It's those hard times that reveal the weaknesses that need to be strengthened, that need to be encouraged. So you're going to go through hard times because you're following Jesus. Did Jesus have hard times? Did Jesus have hard times walking through? He had very difficult hard times. He ran to hard times. And when you follow Jesus, you're going to be in hard times. But not only that, there's hard times that Jesus is going to lead you into because he's going to send you as a part of his rescue mission. Because when we see things around us that are not going right, and we're alive in Christ, and we're alive in that hope, Jesus is going to lead you to go and help in these situations in parts of our local world, in parts of our national world, in parts of our international world, to go and to be hope. But it's going to be hard. And if we're not ready, if we are not filled with the hope of Jesus Christ, we're going to be heading off a rope that is too short, that is frayed, and that will break when people pull it, and they'll be confused about who Jesus is because we don't know who he is. We're not alive in who he is. And in this Christmas season, my prayer is that Shoreline Community Church would be a church that is filled with the hope of Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, alive in them that is listening, that we're not led by just the circumstances happening right now, but we have a hope and that Jesus is alive in us, transforming us, that when we fall down, we get up by his power, and we get up by brothers and sisters that are walking alongside of us. That is the hope that is alive. And do you know who needs that besides us? Our community needs it. Our family needs it. The world needs it. Seattle needs it. But Jesus is out to shine his hope through you, through you. But don't be discouraged and don't be confused when people around you get provoked and get ticked off by your hope. Has everyone, anyone ever gotten ticked off by your hope? If they haven't gotten ticked off, you need to evaluate, am I filled with hope? Because hope is going to be irritating to some people. You know, Charles Swindoll said it this way. He said, spiritually mature Christians, they will always provoke responses from the world around us. Because many live lifestyles of conflict instead of peace, sin instead of purity, pride instead of humility, or hatred instead of compassion. And some view believers as just speed bumps on their superhighways of self-gratification. See, when hope is alive in you, people are always going to be looking at you and go, man, it's so good to see you full of hope. I'm so glad that you're happy. I'm so glad that things seem to go well for you. Some people are going to see you as a speed bump, and they're going to get ticked off. They're going to get ticked off. Because while some may respond with, I see the hope in you, I want it and I desire it, others, they're going to resent it. They're going to say, you make me sick. I've had that spoken to me before. 
And I know some of you have as well. So how do we respond when we get in those circumstances? Because if we're not careful, we'll hear a little voice in our head, don't be so hopeful. You're not being a witness to those around you. You're irritating people. Don't be so hopeful. Don't be so full of life. Have you ever heard that lie come to you? Suppress the hope within you. Suppress Jesus within you. You're talking about Jesus too much. Has Jesus ever told anybody that they talk about him too much? No. It's like the old thing I heard someone say one time that, uh, that this, uh, this dear saint was too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. And I was like, what a lie. <laughs> we are never too spiritually minded. Because when Jesus is alive in you, the world around you will look and wonder with awe. That's why Peter comes down to, he says, how do you, how do you defend it? And he outlines three things. He says, you defend it with a good conscience. That's holy living, right living. The Imago Dei, the image of God in you, living holy and righteous before him. Allowing him to transfer you that I will not give in to the things that are not of God. Period. The Bible says it for me, God's word, that settles it. Period. And that can be challenging sometimes. But it says that we're also to defend it with what? With gentleness and respect. And when you're being attacked, gentleness may not always be the first thing that will come to you. But when you're being called for a defense on the hope that is within you, that's when the Holy Spirit comes up. It's powerful, but it's with gentleness and it's a respect. What does respect do? Respect says, I see you. I see you as a masterpiece. I see that God made you. And we walk in that. We walk in that. My prayer in this Advent season is that we will never forget who we are. We'll never forget who we are. Lift your hands to heaven just like this, hands open in the receiving position, and just say, I am a child of God. To say that I am a child of God. I am a child of God. This is who Jesus is trying to remind you of. You are a child of God. Have you made mistakes? Run to your father. You're a child of God. He knows what you need. Are you weary and heavy laden? Come on to Jesus. Come on to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. He will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you. You're a child of God. Never forget this. Never forget this. This is why Jesus, as he got towards the end of his time here on earth as a human, he gathered all his disciples around the upper room, didn't he? And he said, I'm going to do something with you right now. You eat every day. And I want this to be a reminder of who I am and who I am in you. I'd like for the ushers to go ahead and prepare. We're, we're going to end this time together by just taking communion together on this first Sunday of the month of Advent season of hope when Jesus says, never forget. Never, ever forget. 
never forget who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my masterpiece that I poured into. Are you weary and heavy laden? Come to me. Is there doubt in your life? Come to me. Do you need hope? Come to me. Are you being pushed down? Come to me. Are you confused about where you are? Come to me. You're my son and my daughter. The ushers are going to go through. We celebrate open communion, meaning that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're following Jesus. We welcome you to partake in this. But this is also an invitation. If you are not a follower of Christ, but today you're going, I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. Today's an opportunity for that. Just to confess your sin and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for all I've done. I believe in you and I receive you. Let this be your opportunity to surrender your life to Christ. Ushers, if you'll go ahead and come forward. If you would, take the elements, hold them. And then after everyone has them, I'll come back. And we're going to start this month off by remembering who Jesus is and who he's made us to be. Amen.